Good morning to everyone here in the room, and good morning to all of you who are worshiping with us online. We are so thankful that you've made the decision to, to journey with us today as we continue in our worship series, Define Reality, Offer Hope. If you weren't with us last week when we started, this is rooted in a foundational component of leadership. A good leader is going to define reality and offer hope. Now, define reality means not sugarcoating it, not massaging it, accurately and effectively defining the reality we find ourselves in, good, bad, or indifferent. Define reality accurately and effectively. And offer hope. Not some Pollyannish, pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking, but an expectation of what is to come when you put forth some effort. Define reality, offer hope. This morning we're going to consider a passage of scripture from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, Paul's original first century career was that of someone who identified, tracked down, and arrested Christians until he was one day on the road to Damascus to because he had identified some Christians, he was going to arrest them, and he literally saw the light. A story you'll find in Acts chapter 9. And he converted to Christianity. And after his conversion, he became one of the most prolific church planters of the first century. We believe he planted somewhere around 15 churches and was really infused the DNA, established the DNA of that early church movement, that early Christian movement that eventually gained such momentum that the Roman Empire converted to Christianity. Now, in addition to, to being a prolific church planner, he was a prolific author as well. Paul wrote numerous letters to the churches he planted, some churches that he didn't, to offer encouragement, insight, correction where needed. And these letters were held in such high regard and were, were circulated so widely that a couple of centuries later when our Bible was put together, these letters became part of the New Testament and they make up roughly half of the New Testament writings. Now what makes Ephesians interesting and a little different from most of the letters that Paul wrote is in Ephesians, he's not writing to address a particular issue. In most of Paul's writings, word has gotten back to him that there's conflict in the church or there's misguided leadership or there's just outright misrepresentation of Jesus and the gospel. And so he picks up his pen and he writes a letter to kind of set the record straight, to, to, to get them back on track. That's not the case in Ephesians. He's not addressing a specific issue. He's writing from prison, which wasn't that uncommon for Paul. But he's pouring out his heart. Ephesians is a letter of clarity and encouragement. And the passage that we're going to look at does just that. It clarifies, defines reality. And it encourages, it offers hope. So we're going to be in the second chapter 
of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first 10 verses, but for right now we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, this is a defined reality here. Dead in your transgressions and sins, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, deserving of wrath. Pretty bleak, actually. But remember, we said one thing that's important is to accurately and effectively and with complete transparency define reality. And that's what Paul is doing here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, the word that we have translated as sin is a Greek, based on a Greek word, Harmartia. Now, harmartia is, is a shooting word. It means to miss. You know, if you pull back the bow and arrow and release the arrow and miss the target, harmartia. You know, if it's a basketball game and LeBron James is taking a last-second shot to potentially win the game and he misses, harmartia. So sin, harmartia, is missing the target of life. And that's why it's universal. And that's why it applies to everybody. You know, often it, it's easy to identify those egregious sins. You know, the, those sins that wreak havoc, that, that cause pain and suffering and death. It's easy to identify those. And sometimes it can be easier to overlook kind of the everyday ways that we miss the target. Of life. This past weekend, Friday night and Saturday, I had the occasion to, to return home uh, to visit with my father. He still lives in the home that he and my mother built the summer before I was born the following spring. So when I go home, I truly get to go home to the place that's familiar to the my bedroom with the same Tar Heel ceiling fan I got when I was 13. But I'm a, I'm a son. And at my father's age, to be able to spend time with him and reflect on what has been, talk about what is and what is to come, it's precious time. But as a son, I always and sometimes have those thoughts of back to when, whether it was as a pesky teenager or a know-it-all young adult or a too-busy meeting adult, that I missed the target, whether by word or deed or attitude, of being a son to my father and mother. Now, I would love to also be the perfect husband and father 
But my wife and children will quickly shake their heads and say no. Have there been times where, as a husband, I was not as supportive, I was stubborn, not as encouraging as I should have been? Were there times where I brought the stress and strain of my job home to my family? Were there times in the discipline and rearing of our children where I wasn't what I should have been? The answer to, to all of that is yes. Can't even count the number of times that I have missed the target of life. And that's what Paul is saying. Hermartia is missing the target of life. And when we're in that, those transgressions and that sin, Life isn't as fulfilling and meaningful and and joyful as it should be. So one of our questions we need to ask today. It's not an easy question. It's a question, question that we don't often spend a lot of time with and spend a lot of time on. But where in your life are you missing the target? Where is Hermartia creeping in? That's the reality of life for every one of us. But thankfully, as we deal with that question, Paul doesn't stop there. And neither do we. Pick it up in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now you talk about hope because of his great love for us. God who was rich in his mercy. It is by grace we have been saved. This is tremendous hope. No greater hope in life than these words from Paul about the love and grace that God extends to each and every one of us. And it's free. Now, grace sometimes is one of those words that that we can toss around and and that maybe we don't fully understand or it can be difficult to grasp. You know, there's a saying, if not for the grace of God, there go I. Now, it's usually mean to, to express relief that we don't find ourselves in a difficult circumstance. But if if it's God's grace that keeps us from that difficult or 
painful circumstance. Does that mean God withdrew grace from the person who's in that circumstance? Did they just miss it? That's a question for another day. Grace is free. It is a gift from God made available to each and every one of us. And hear further how it's described. Hear, hear these phrases. Made us alive with Christ. Raised us up with Christ. And seated us with Him. Do you hear the participatory language? Alive with Christ. Raised up with Christ. And seated us with Christ. It is participatory. And what Paul is doing here is he is making the connection between our baptism and the resurrection of Jesus. Whenever I've participated in someone's baptism, when, they, when I take them down into the water, it's buried in death with Christ. And as they come up out of the water, raised with Christ in the newness of life. Our baptism into the faith is being connected to what God did through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are in this together. So when God raised Christ, when God brought Christ back to life, He's doing the same for us. And there's no greater expression of God's love for us than the grace he showed to make us alive with, to raise us with, and to seed us with Christ. For those of you that have been baptized, think back to that time in your life. What it was like coming to that decision, what it felt like, and and how that, that entered you into faith to receive the grace of God. Now, for those that have not yet made that decision, still exploring, trying to, to figure that out, what does it mean, not only intellectually, but, but what does it mean as a practice of life, here's something I, I want you to really grab hold of today. That's the recognition that God, is the initiator. God is the one who extends grace and love. God is the one who is in pursuit of you. Now, we all have varying degrees of awareness of God in our lives. And that's not to say that one is better than the other. That's not an act of, of judgment based on people's awareness of God in their lives. It's it's reality. It, it's, it's where we are. It, it's part of our being honest and transparent about where each of us, where we each are in our lives. But what we have to remember is God is always there. God has not left. God continues to initiate. 
And other times when I have conversations with people who are exploring faith and, you know, what does this mean and, and how do I come to it and, and I'm not sure about this. And oftentimes there are feelings of unworthiness. There's this thought of, gosh, if you knew everything in my life, I, I've got to get that cleaned up first. And the answer is no. That's what the grace of God is all about. Is the fact that it's free. And the fact that you can set all of those feelings aside because God is the initiator. God is in pursuit to share His love and grace. Let's look a little further down towards the end of the passage. For we are God's handiwork. So so this grace, this love that God extends to us as the creator of the universe. You know, we're told in Genesis that we each have been created in God's image. So we already bear the image of God. And here Paul tells us that we are God's handiwork. So that means you and I, we're a piece of art based on what God is doing in our lives. Now, there are times that I don't feel much like a work of art. There are days where I feel more like a splattering of paint. And we all have those days. Sometimes we have those seasons of life where we feel less than. But please, please don't allow that to rob you Of God's blessing. Because God is continually extending to you. That grace. And love. All we have to do. Is be open. And receive it. It's there. We just have to be willing. And once we are. I think then we we have to cling to it. And the reason I believe it's important for us to cling to it is, you know, when you cling to something, you're saying, this is important. You're saying, man, I've got to have this. It also takes a little humility to cling to something. It takes humility to say, I need this in my life. So we need to cling to God's grace. And that's regardless of whether you're a believer or still figuring it out. Each day we need to cling to the grace of God because of the love and the support and the encouragement that comes from God through Jesus Christ. And when we cling... The last half of that verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work. There's something for us to do. And I also find that part of hope. There's hope not just in the grace and in the love. That is certainly there. But there's also hope in the fact that we've got something to do. We play a part 
in this kingdom. God expects something of us. God wants us to help out with the kingdom. Because while grace is free, grace is not cheap. And the reason it's not cheap is because that love and grace cost God something. We talk about the the resurrection and the way that we have been raised with Christ and the grace and love that comes through that, but let's not forget, before there was the resurrection, there was the death. And that death was painful for Jesus. It was painful for God. And it is that death that Paul is speaking to in the reality. So the grace of God is not cheap. But oh, how important it is. Because once we receive that grace and we cling to it, we then have the joy of participating in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus knew in in his three-year earthly ministry, the reason he invested in those 12 disciples so much is because he knew they were the ones who were going to have to take the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. They were the ones that were going to have to repeat the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew that they were the ones that were going to have to make sure that the ministry to the orphans and the widows continued. Jesus knew that they, he specifically called out Peter and said, you are the rock upon which the church will be built. So Jesus knew that they were going to be the foundation of the church. And that now extends to us. We now are part of that foundation of what it means to receive the love and grace of God. And then to go be part of the kingdom. We've all got something to do. Harmartia is a part of our lives. And we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to deal with it. But we don't stay there. And we don't wallow there. We receive that grace of God. And we go forth as people called of God to advance the kingdom of God. Now there are people in your lives. There are people in this community of faith that we're going to miss the target of life. It's going to happen. And that's where we, as God's artwork, we have to extend that love and grace to one another. So not only are we filled as vessels with God's love and grace, we then have to overflow with that same love and grace as we go forth to do good works in the kingdom of God. There is the reality of missing the target of life, of homartia. But oh, such hope we have through the grace and love of God that if we will but cling to it and recognize that we each are a work of art who has then been called to advance the kingdom of God. We have a job. 
and responsibility. And I'm so thankful that by the grace of God, we get to do it together. Let's pray. God, indeed, we, we just give you thanks. That while Hamartia is a part of life, we don't have to dwell there. That the grace and love that comes from you is so freely given in a way that it awakens within each of us the work of art that you have created us to be. That through our baptism, we can go forth to benefit the kingdom of God. May the grace and love that flows so freely from you flow between each of us as we go about your kingdom work. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.